Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a very special guest, Adam, on the show today. You'll want to hear this guy's story. So make sure you stick around and you share this out. This is going to be phenomenal. So hang tight. And we are back. Let me bring Adam on. Adam, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks Adam, what's me. your last name? Is it Gunter? Gunton. Gunton. Yep. Gunton. Yep. Got it. Got it. So, Adam, um, you know, I started this show about three years ago, and um, it was literally to help people have a breakthrough, to get unstuck in life. And um, we all we all go through the crud in life, and some of us get stuck and stay stuck. So, you know, I like to start with um, where were you born and raised? Well, technically, I was born in San Diego, California, um, but I only have one memory from there, and and I've been told that there's no way that I could have this memory, but it had to have been before I was six months old. But I remember. Um, being in that house in the kitchen and my dad making me laugh. So uh, I was born in San Diego, but I grew up in Littleton, Colorado. Wow. Okay. So at six months, you moved to Littleton? Uh, yeah. Well, moved to Denver. And then I grew okay. up grew up in Littleton. At around six six months, I moved from California to Colorado. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so what was it? And I, by the way, that's one of the most beautiful areas of the country. My buddy Doug Wing, who's watching right now, um, is from Utah, which might be just a little step. I, I don't know. It's pretty, it's all beautiful out there, though. The Rocky yeah. Mountains are gorgeous. So, 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 Adam, what was it like for you growing up as a kid in Denver, Colorado? Uh, it was amazing. I had a I had a great childhood. Uh, I was on the uh, football team in Little League, the baseball team in Little League. I won state wrestling um, in Little League. Wow. We won state every year for my football team, and we won nationals once. Uh, and we won state for my baseball team. And we went to the Little League World Series my eighth grade year, and I was the home run derby hitter. Um, wow. One, one thing that happened uh, in my childhood um, that everybody's heard of, uh, I actually went to Columbine Hills Elementary. Um, and that's when the shooting took place. I was in fourth grade and I actually ended up going to Columbine high school. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize about that incident, it was, it was incredibly, incredibly tragic. It, it hurt a lot of people, but what a lot of people don't realize that happened on the other side of that is that the Columbine community came together in a way that, that can only come from a tragedy like that. There was a new chant that we did. There was a new kind of uh, camaraderie and family. And we all came together as a community. Um, and I had never, I mean, I still haven't experienced something like that that happened from, from something like that. So um, growing up, I mean, I was, uh, I was basically a golden boy. I, I was, you know, I was all the, all the sports. Um, I did really well in school. 
basically up until um, eighth grade when I started getting pretty serious into my into my drug use and and my drinking. So um, I, I loved I loved where I grew up. I had a, I had a good family, um, an amazing family. I mean, one of my one of my first cousins is favored to win gold uh, at the Olympics in a few days for wrestling. She's wow. Winningest, yeah, she's the most winningest uh, female wrestler in, in history. And um, I've got doctors in my family. I've got uh, big financial people in my family. But um, I had I had a couple bad influences that came into my life um, around 11, 12, 13. That took me from, you know, from going this direction to going like kind of like this and then uh, steadily down. What I what I believe was missing um, was I didn't have a serious uh, mentor and a serious person that told me like corrective action to take in life. I didn't have somebody that really gave me that that direction. Yeah. Oh, so at the ripe old age of about fourteen, it sounds like you said eighth grade, um, you started drug use um i started about 12 or 13 by the time i was in eighth grade it was uh a daily thing wow wow what kind of drug use like started with alcohol started with alcohol and then it was cocaine was next and then then marijuana yep wow at 12 13 years old yep Right on. And then I got my wisdom teeth taken out sometime when I was like 13. And then that's when I found my love of opiates. Wow. So yeah. Doug asks, what caused the drug use? Bad friends? Uh, one bad influence, um, an older influence, and yeah. one bad friend, yes. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm not putting blame on them. I mean, right. I'm responsible for my own actions, just like anybody is. I know, I know, twelve or thirteen year olds that said no at that time, you right. know. But I think one thing that parents should be very, very, very um, keen on is who their kids are hanging out with, um, because yeah. everybody knows the the saying, "We are the sum average of the five people we spend the most time with." That yep. goes doubly true for kids. Yep. Amen. I agree with that one thousand percent. So, so you started, um, on a rocky road at, um, pretty young age, 12, 13 years old. And, and so how did things progress? I mean, were you still in school? Did you stick with school? Oh yeah. I, I did great too. I mean, I, I, I graduated high school. I was still the captain of the wrestling team. I was the defensive captain of our state championship football team my senior year. Um, we beat out the seventh ranked team in the nation uh, for state. And, wow. um, you know, and I and things were great. I had I just didn't know um, that the things I was doing recreationally were setting me up for an absolute disaster yeah. when I when I didn't have these sports to hold me accountable to being somewhere every day after practice. Because um, as soon as sports were over, that's when it was like I, I had nothing else holding me accountable. So. Right. And you were um, subconsciously already, you knew the, the effect that alcohol and drugs had and 
the uh, escape from reality and all of that. So, Absolutely. so, so you, uh, did you end up graduating high school then Oh yeah, from yep. Columbine? Yep. Yes, sir. I had somebody else on the show. I don't remember who it was, but I had someone else that went to Columbine that was on the show months ago, but mm. yeah. So, so um, you graduated high school. Did you go to college? Yeah, I went to, uh, and here's the thing, like, I was I was so dumb at this point because I was I was smoking weed like every day and using, you know, my senior year after after sports. And like I actually had opportunities for scholarship offers for for D1 AA and D2 football wow. and for wrestling. And I started like I literally just did not go to these meetings. I, I would have a meeting with a college and then I would literally just skip it and just not go like really, really, really immature. But then I ended up going to uh, the University of Northern Colorado. But I didn't really I didn't know why I was going. I was just going basically because everybody said you need to go to college um, and just to party. And that's what it became was a party. Um, but I had something happen my my freshman year of college that completely um, derailed me that took me down a completely different path. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so it was uh, it was September twenty eighth, two thousand eight, and I had been out drinking and partying like most nights my freshman year of college. When I woke up to my phone ringing and vibrating down by my leg, and I swam through the sheets to find my hard phone with the bright screen that read four forty seven a.m. and my best friend Chucker was calling me, and I remember having the conscious choice that I could either answer the way like I always do with "Hey, what's up, Chuck," or I could answer the way I was feeling with uh, "Hello." And in my still drunken state, I chose the latter, to which a soft voice replied, hey, what's up? Why are you calling me this late? I was just calling to say hi. Don't call me this late again. And I hung up on him. And he shot himself. Oh, geez. And after that, after that instance, um, I began consciously and and I made the choice to use drugs for the first time to mask the way I felt, cope with emotions, and I used them as a solution. It was no longer partying and having fun. Uh, I couldn't tell anybody about that phone call. It took me eight years to tell wow. one soul about that phone call. And as everybody was like consoling me and saying, I'm so sorry about your about Chuck and like, you know, loving on me and all this stuff. I'm bottling down lies deeper and deeper in me about this is my fault. This yeah. is my fault. And that's what I'm that's what I'm bearing with these drugs and alcohol. And now instead of learning coping mechanisms with trauma, my mind and my soul learned that drugs are a solution for everything. So this took me down a path where it went from Oxycontin to to meth, to heroin, to crack, to all of these things, because I was searching for the actual thing that would that would take life away. And it yeah. got to a point where I didn't even want to be alive anymore. But I was I was suffering through having to exist when I didn't even want to anymore. Wow. And that's what I think is so is so important about us getting in the minds of kids and mentoring them and letting them know like the reality of of coping, of trauma and of drug use. Because yeah. there is no reason why I didn't go through all the horrific horrific traumas that 67% of addicts do. You know, 
there's, yep. there's just a new kind of education that needs to happen for kids so that they don't go down the same same horrors in hell that I did, you know? Amen, dude. Amen. I agree. So, and I have two teenage daughters, so yeah. I, I'm telling you, I, I know all about it. So, so, um, wow, man. So, so you, uh, I'm going to make an assumption. Yeah. You didn't graduate college. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no. No. I left so, right after that. Yeah. So, so, um, and there's a, there's another guy out in Colorado, my buddy, Mike Phillips, he's out in your neighborhood. So, so, um, so you started down this path. When did you drop out? When did you end up leaving college? What right after that happened? Was that in your freshman year? Yeah. Okay. Somewhere in the second, second semester. So, um, where did you go? I mean, did, you, were your parents still out there? And like, what? where did you go? Because I, I listen, just so everybody knows, which most people watching know, I'm in recovery with almost 19 years sober by the grace of God and a lot of hard work. But the the. I'm familiar with this story, yeah. not the drugs part. Thank God I never did drugs because I wouldn't be here to talk about it. Right. But, but the, you know, where did it end up taking you? Where, like, did you, did you just like go live with your mom and dad and sit around and, and smoke crack or what, what happened? <laughs> so um, I actually was selling drugs also. I was, I was a serious part of the problem also. Um, and I didn't, you know, at the time you're not thinking of the harm that you're causing to people by selling drugs because you're loving the drugs also. And you just figure that you're helping people out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had my own house. I had a, I had a, you know, a party house. I had a movie theater in the basement. I had a car, I had a motorcycle, I had all this stuff, um, at this young age, but it was all based on illegal activity, you know? Um, and that never ends well. Uh, I, I ended up, um, getting myself into trouble and being put on probation and, um, you know, and then I just faked it, faked my way through probation. Uh, I was able to find a place that would let me, um, do UAs in the bathroom alone. And I would just do fake UAs the whole time. Um, and this just, I mean, it just progresses. Like I, what's a UA, uh, your analysis. Oh, 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 okay. So I would go in there with fake, fake pee. They would have these things that you can get for like 25 bucks that had fake pee and, and you just took it in there and I just poured it in there and wow. would smoke Oxycontin before and after the, after the UA. Um, wow. so I wasn't, but the thing was, is I wasn't ready to get any better. Uh, I, I needed, I needed drugs to survive. I needed drugs to, um, make it through my days and I wasn't ready. And this just continued. I was getting jobs. I was always able to like, I'm a, I'm a, even on drugs, I was pretty charismatic. Like I was able to, uh, I was good at sales. Um, you know, I started a company with, with someone who's still, uh, one of my best friends to this day in 2000, we started at the end of 2011 and started knocking doors in 2012. And I sold like 967 accounts in a year door to door for pest control. Yeah. And, um, we, I mean, but it was feeding my addiction also, you know, cause I was able to get cash every day and 
you know, um, that's kind of what, like, you can do anything with your life with a strong enough why. And if <laughs> heroin is your why, you can do anything. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. man, dude. So, so, um, <laughs> Wow, that's funny. I so okay, so you're you're out going door to door selling pest control, mm-hmm. um, doing heroin at the same time. Yeah. Wow, that's with, intense. With a two to three gram a day habit. Is that a lot? Yes. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um, so so you're you're going out, you're doing this and and did you did you end up hitting a a wall? Did you what what happened? I mean, what where did that take you? It was awful. It was it was awful awful because every dollar that I made from that company was going straight into my arm. I was living in this apartment um, that was like a rundown, really not good place. Um, and I remember writing a little suicide note on an iPad, and it was so like so selfish. Just I'm sorry I did this. Um, I love you and just know that like that was my suicide note and I loaded up a syringe with as much as possible and I put it in my arm that night and I went out and then I woke up the next morning. I was kind of like slumped over my couch with the needle still in my arm. My whole arm was dead and um, I woke up and I yelled at God and shortly thereafter, I went to my business partner who's still one of my best friends to this day. And I told him, I can't do this anymore, dude. Like, I don't know. Like, I can't do this. I have to get, I have to do something. And uh, he ends up sending me down to, I found this treatment called Ibogaine down in Mexico. Have you heard of Ibogaine? No. Mm-mm. So it's a, uh, it's illegal in the US for, for whatever reason. Um, but it cures withdrawal. Like legitimately, I went down there. Um, it's a it's a root of a plant that they found in Africa and it's a psychedelic, but it instantly cures all withdrawal. Like I went through like a like a 36 or 48 hour trip laying in a bed and then came out of it with no withdrawal. Wow. And so I so I was completely cured of heroin addiction. But the problem wow. was that I came back to the same environment, the same people. And I was actually I never actually stopped using everything. I keep I kept uh smoking weed and, and, um, I started using psychedelics at the time, um, and drinking. And then shortly thereafter, I was back on heroin and I had so left. This I began, I'm weren't, didn't you become addicted to that? No, it's a, it's a one-time thing. You can't. Oh yeah. I began is like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> I, know, I know that they, you know, I mean, Suboxone is now its own industry. Um, right you know, so, so, okay. So, wow. So you came back, you got off heroin for a minute, but you kept doing the weed and the drinking and all of that. So where, where did things go then? Were you still knocking Um, doors? I stopped, I stopped doing pest control and I ended up gifting my equity to my partner. I just said, I got to go. I can't do this. Um, and we had built it to something big. Like we were, we had four trucks. We had a two-story office building. I owned 33% of the company and I just gave it to him. Um, wow. So I was just so excited to not be shooting up heroin anymore. Yeah, and, right. Um, then I shortly thereafter got a job selling Dish Network and DirecTV. And uh, I killed it in that industry. I was able to travel all over the country 
Um, the, these companies would pay for my housing, they would pay for my bills, plus they would pay me my commissions and everything. And I was, um, I was usually always the top salesperson at whatever company I worked with. Um, and it fed my addiction again because I, I found, you know, heroin again, and then it became another why. Um, that, that's crazy, dude. Our stories are so, I, 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 I was one of DirecTV's largest dealers in the United States, and I sold the very first DirecTV system in the state of Pennsylvania. So, Amen. That's cool. Yeah, man. It's crazy, dude. Um, yeah. So, but I had a lot of salespeople and, you know, but, but so, so you, um, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, man, I was... After I ended up losing everything, I ended up going out door to door, replacing the Prime Star dishes with DirecTV or Dish Network. Yeah, and and and, and it was cash every day, and I was oh, I get it. Yeah. So so um, that is nuts how how paralleled our stories are. But yeah. the, so you you um, so how you you're traveling all over the country. You're selling satellite systems um what states were you in did you did, did you were you all over oh yeah i i've sold i've sold satellite in uh colorado montana texas new mexico california south carolina georgia wow um everywhere yeah. wow and and so how how did that end up working out for you um it was the last job I had uh, using, I, and I did it for four years. You know, it was it was so easy for me. Like, okay, if you have Dish Network, I'm going to give you Direct. If you have Direct TV, I'm going to give you Dish. And if you have Comcast, I'm going to give you Direct TV. If you like football, yeah. So, and people couldn't say no because I and I never something about me in sales is that I never had to uh, use dishonesty. Like I, I've never sold anything where I needed to use dishonesty. And I think that's why I was so good at it because I believed in what I was doing. Even if I'm selling you TV, like if someone asked me, what, what do you have? Like, I don't watch TV, but I'm saving you 55 bucks a month and, you know, giving you the new equipment. Right. Um, right. But this, this, you know, continued for a while. Um, and then my drug use just continued getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, November 6th of 2015, I was, working up in Montana and I, I had a girlfriend at the time and we were kind of on a break, but I, I just left seeing her. I was lying to her about my drug use and I left her house, drove around the corner, parked, made a shot, put it in my arm, got mad because I thought it was bunk. Like I didn't feel anything. And I took off driving. And the next thing I know I'm waking up, next to my car in mm. a pile of glass with uh, blue and red lights everywhere, cops mm. around me, paramedics around me, uh, not really knowing what, what happened. Um, and I actually still, I, I have that video and I released that video recently because I had to watch the, cause they had their body cams on, the police had their body cams on when they found me and they yeah. pulled me out and everything. And I had to watch that video on a 52 inch television screen in front of my face in a courtroom. And that still wasn't enough of a consequence to get me clean. 
it still wasn't enough. Wow. Because for two more years after that, I, I continued to sell DirecTV and Dish because I never I never did anything that made it so that someone wouldn't want to employ me. Like I never stole from every, anybody. I never lied to customers. Customers always loved me. Even when they found out I was a, I was a drug addict, they would still employ me um, because I'd sold a lot of accounts. And um, it just, yeah. So, so you, had you committed a crime? I, I had drugs in the car. Oh. Yeah. That's a crime. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Which sucks because I got a felony for it and I got a felony for having a disease, you know? Yeah. yeah. In my, in my belief, I, and I, I'm fine with being political now. I didn't used to want to get political, but I think it's crap what they're doing to addicts because yeah. it's a life sentence. If it weren't for my entrepreneurial um, aspirations and goals and mindset, I would be, I would be screwed. I have two yeah. felony drug convictions. Wow. For possession of personal use drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's crap. And it's a life sentence because I can't get them expunged. Can't get them taken off. I'll never be able to have a gun. And and if I was to have to look for a job, like yeah. without my without my sales, I just think it's crap. Yeah. Yeah. So so you um so you th this you said that still wasn't enough to 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 get you to stop. Um, so where did things go? You leave court and you went and shot up. Yeah. Yep. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Um, wow. I was living out in California at the time. I was on like this uh, interstate compact bond or whatever, where I could be out of the state because I was working. Yeah. Um, and it just continued getting worse. It got worse and worse and worse. And then um, I ended up losing my girlfriend and, and all that. Um, and then I ended up uh, in a corporate apartment here in Colorado because we were doing door-to-door -door here in Colorado. And uh, I'm sitting at my desk and I had this computer desk in my room and I had this drawer over here that had all my dope and stuff in it. And uh, I had a loaded syringe in my hand and I was looking at it and I knew that I didn't want to use. I knew I didn't want to do it. And I, and I knew that I had to. And I just started crying as I was looking at it. And I remember the way that my, that the syringe looked through my tears as I was crying and looking at it. It was like a, like a blurry magnification of this, of this hell, this thing that was taking everything from me, but I still had to do it. And I, and I sat it down and I just started crying and crying and crying. And I heard this voice and it said, pray. Mm. And when I heard that, I looked behind, I looked behind me because it was, it was obvious, but there was no one there. And I just went deeper into my hands and just started crying and crying. And like, I, I think I was saying like, I hate myself. I hate this. I don't want to do this. And then I just heard again, pray. And when I heard it the second time, I got up and I remember like I wasn't physically hurt, but I was so emotionally damaged and I was so um, broken at this time that I limped over to my bed and I dropped down on my knees and all I could get out was God. And right when I said God, I felt arms wrap up from behind me and hug me as if to wow. tell me that 
I love you in this time. And these weren't arms that were, that were hugging me from above me like, it's going to be okay, buddy. These were arms of somebody that had gotten down on their knees with me and hugged me from behind mm. and told me, even in your lowest, even in your darkest time, I love you the same. And it filled me up. But then I, I, what did I do? I got up spiritually filled. I was emotionally okay at that time. And I went over to the desk and I shot up. Right. Later that, later that day, I ended up calling the CEO of, the, of that company. And it was, they were the largest direct TV retailer at that time. Yeah. And he was mentoring me. And he doesn't mentor anybody. He chose to mentor me because of the, the way that I was. Yeah. And I called him and I was like, I was like, John, I'm getting ready to kill myself. I can't do this anymore. I hate myself. I, I can't go out and sell anymore. I, I got to quit. I got to leave. And so I quit and I went up to Montana. This is like end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And I end up uh, back in Montana. I'm on felony probation for that case. Um, wow. I'm, I'm unable to pass a UA. I'm asking my probation officer just to put me in prison. I'm, I have a five-year sentence hanging over my head, and I'm asking him just put me in prison. I can't do this. And for months, um, I'm homeless. I'm jobless. In 2017, I brought in like $5,400 total. And that's I, I lived off that. <laughs> wow. And I, the reason why I quit that job is because I felt like if I was to get rid of my income, um, I would be able to stop if I wasn't providing for myself, if I wasn't, um, you know, bringing in this money to buy the drugs, I would be able to stop. But I got it got worse and worse and worse again. Yeah. And I ended up in a homeless shelter. And then um, I thought that was rock bottom. Like I'm looking around at my life and like I'm at a homeless shelter. I'm, I'm you know, sick. And then I got 86 from the homeless shelter. I was kicked out of the homeless shelter. And um, wow. two weeks later, I was starving and they had lunch every day and dinner every night for anyone that comes in. And I was standing in line for lunch and the director of it came over and kicked me out of line and said, you're not allowed to be in here for 365 days. Wow. So I was cut <clears throat> off. Nothing anymore. Nothing. Um, and I was going. The thing is, is this whole time. I'm going to NA meetings. I'm going to AA meetings. I'm going to CA meetings. I'm I'm going to church twice a week. I'm going to Bible study every Tuesday at 6:30. But why can't I stop? Why can't I stop? And it's almost like I don't understand because I wanted to, but it was like the drugs were the only thing I knew that would that would be okay for me. They were the only life that I knew, so I didn't even know how to live without them, but I didn't wow. want to live with them anymore. I, I did not want to live anymore. And I've yep. got to this point where uh, I, and this is months, this is months. Uh, Homeless. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I found there were, uh, we had abandoned houses that we would be able to stay in. Like I remember one, one place where, a bunch of us that were homeless would stay and we had even a, a metal trash can with a fire in the middle of this uh, house because it, because there was no running water or electricity or anything. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Is this in, and this is in Montana or Billings, Montana. Yep. Wow. Yeah. 
That's a at least you picked a tropical environment. Right. Yeah, <laughs> got cold, man. How bad. Jeez. Yeah. So so um wow, dude. And this is in 2017. Yep. That's I mean, that's you know, and I I, I haven't been in a homeless shelter, but I've been homeless. Mm-hmm. Um so I can't relate to that, but it seems like that's pretty far down, man. I mean, there, there's not a whole lot of bottom left at that point. Yeah. So where, where did things go from there? Um, it was suffering for a while and I had to, uh, I had to raise my hand every day. Um, you know, saying that it was my first, second or third meeting since my last drinker use, because that was part of the thing up there. And I was always honest about it. Um, but I, it just got worse. And then I found myself in a car um, that a girl let me borrow and it wasn't stolen, but I did have to start it with a screwdriver. (laughs) And I'm sitting in this car before Bible study one, one day I'm 148 pounds. Um, and right now I'm, I'm 215. And at this time I'm 148. Wow. And I'm sitting in this car before Bible study, I've been trying to get clean for months, trying everything I possibly can. And I remember just like sitting back and telling God I'm done. It's like, I'm not going to this meeting. I'm not going to Bible study, not going to these meetings. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. I've tried everything. I'm done. Just let me die. God, please just let me die. And he whispers to me and he said, it's time go. And right when he said that, I got so angry at him because there had been so many times throughout my addiction that it had been time where I had taken a bag of heroin and put it in the toilet and flushed it because it was time. I'm never using again. And then the next morning I call the dope man to get some. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm in this car and he says that to me and I start yelling at him. Like, I'm sick of this. God, please just let me die. What's different about this time? What's different about this time? I start hitting the roof of the car and hitting the steering wheel and I'm crying and I'm yelling. And this is going on for minutes. And I'm just like, and he's not saying anything. He's just letting me get it all out. Just yelling at him and yelling at him and yelling at him because I'm I'm so broken. I literally don't want to be alive anymore. And so I'm yelling at him. And I'm crying. I'm crying. And then he just repeats himself. And he said, it's time. Go. And I remember getting this like this. It wasn't like a like a power filled moment, like I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to do this. It was like a like a a. A giving up like fine, whatever you say, I'll do. I don't care anymore. Just just please just take me. Yeah. And it, it was like I didn't get power filled, but I, I just conceded. And I went, went to the Bible study. I was 12 minutes late. I swung the doors open. They were in the middle of prayer. I interrupted prayer and I dropped down on my knees and I threw my hands up. I said, guys, please help me. I can't stop. I can't stop. And I'm crying and I'm like, I used again. Please help me. Please help me. I can't stop. And Brendan, who is my best friend and the Bible study leader, uh, came over to me and he like calls me down. He's like, hey, bro, let's just get through Bible study. Like, you know, <laughs> they've been hearing this for months, right? I've literally been trying for months. Like what's different about this time to them either. 
And he calls me down. We, we get through Bible study. And then at the end of Bible study, one of the elders, Carmen, comes up to me. He's like, hey, I just got a word. I need to pray for you. And he sits me on this ottoman in the middle of the room. All the other men left except for Carmen in front of me. And then Brendan and George. And George is another elder. And Carmen puts his hand on my shoulder and starts like speaking to spirits, like spirit of anxiety, spirit of addiction, spirit of depression, and starts speaking all these things. And I'm like literally feeling like I'm getting relief. I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it better than just like, like weight coming off of your shoulders or out of your chest and like just this weight coming off. And then I had this experience where he, he started speaking to the spirit of a cult because I, because I have like this tattoo on me and I have like chakras on me and all this different stuff that I've practiced in, in the past. And he starts speaking to the spirit of a cult and this thing manifests in me. I feel like my, like, I'm like, like growling and stuff while he's speaking to this thing. And he ends up like just yelling at it and yelling at it and yelling at it. And then, uh, and then it's, I haven't drank or used since that night. And then five days later, five days later, I'm at IHOP international house of pancakes with Brendan. And so I'm five days clean at the time. Like, and that's a miracle at the time for me in, in the first place. But Brendan is, is sitting across from me and we're talking and then I get a text message on my phone. And I just have this little flip phone and uh, I open it up and it's from my dope dealer. He's like, hey, bro, I just got some new stuff. It's fire. I'll give you a free 20 to try out. And right when I read it, I felt the spirit come in through the top of my head all the way through my body. My fingers were tingling. My toes were tingling. I lost my peripheral vision. And all I could see was my thumbs texting back. And it was like, it wasn't like King James. It was like, ye shall not text me again. Thou hast texted me for the last time. It was going crazy. It was going crazy. And then at the end of the text, it said, and fear the pain you cause your son because your son has been blessed with the Holy Spirit. And then I feel the spirit leave me. I was like, what the heck? And I looked back at the phone because I can't even read it while I'm, while I'm writing it. And then I showed it to Brandon. I was like, dude, that wasn't me. I was like, that was not me. And you have to imagine like, five days clean telling you that this wasn't me that wrote that. Right. And then I push send, I close it. I put it in my pocket. I'm like looking down at my pocket. I'm like, dude, I don't know what that was. And I look back up and Jesus is sitting across from me. The entire restaurant had completely disappeared. All I could see was his face. I was in the middle of a sentence. It was for a split second. Cause it was just like immediately knew who it was immediately knew it was happening. Fell with my face to the table, my hand up. I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And I came back up and he was gone. Um, wow. From that moment, my obsession to drink or use was still not lifted. It wasn't lifted. Right. I had for the next 21 days, I would, I would shake needing drugs. I would, I would literally tremor needing something in my body because yeah. almost every day was longer than I had ever been before. Right. So on day 11, I embarked on the 12 steps. Um, And I did this with someone and they say, look for someone who you want what they have. Right. And I tried to find the person with the best business or the most money or the nicest truck or the hottest wife or whatever it was. And none of that was working. Right. The person who ended up taking me through the steps and saving my life was strictly alcoholic, had never tried a drug in his life. He was a gay man and he had never taken anyone through the steps before. What he had was the willingness and the love for me to pick me up every morning at 6.30 a.m. 
take me to the movie theater that he managed, take me into the basement and do the work with me. We would read, we would read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, no matter what fellowship, but we would read that book. We would do what it said. On day 25, I did the fifth step for my first time ever. On day 26, I was, he came and picked me up in the morning in his 1983 mailman Jeep. And we were <laughs> on our way to the movie theater. And I'm looking over at this beautiful sunrise. And I had a spiritual awakening that for the first time since I was 12 years old, I had no desire to drink or use. It had been lifted completely. Not, not just because of my faith in Jesus, although my faith in Jesus helped me to do the steps. But something happened for me in working with him and going through the 12 steps where the obsession left and has not come back. Have I, have I had thoughts about, you know, oh, those guys in the tents look like they're having a ball, you know? Yes. <laughs> for, for some reason, my head... In the tent. In the tent. Like, they don't have responsibilities. They just get to hang out, use drugs. You know, it seems nice sometimes. <laughs> oh, my God. So I have thoughts oh. like that, but the obsession, like, like, there's... I know I can't use. I know I have no desire to. I don't want to go back there. That's all right. gone. On day 30, I still have the journal from this day because I'm journaling this whole time, every single day. And this is the first time I've ever had 30 days clean and sober. And I'm writing in my journal. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe you got me 30 days. I love you so much. This is amazing. It would be amazing if I didn't smoke cigarettes anymore. Since day 30, I have not had a drag of a cigarette. Wow. Good for you, I, dude. Wow. I believe... I believe that the that the mindset that an addict or alcoholic is powerless is crap. Amen. We are, we are powerless over drugs and alcohol. That's it. When we put that in our body, we lose control and our lives become unmanageable. <clears throat> yeah. When we clean ourselves up with God, we are now attached to the greatest power that exists. And we're able to do anything. On December 31st of 2019, I took my last, I haven't had a sip of, of uh, energy drink or soda since then. Wow. And June 25th of this year, I decided that gambling isn't doing it for me. And I haven't, in my whole time in recovery, I've played a lot of poker. I've loved blackjack, just had fun. But it, it was turning into something that was taking up too much time. Yeah. And and I felt like it wasn't healthy for me because sometimes I would go even though I didn't really want to. Yeah. So on June 25th, boom, it's done. It's cut. Not doing it. Because I do have the power to do that now. I do have the power to make decisions and choices in my life now. Amen, Amen Doug. With Amen. God, all things are possible. Man, dude, what a powerful story. So how long what's your what's your sobriety date? November 6th. 2017 man that's huge congratulations Thank coming you. up on four years yes sir yes, that's sir. awesome dude that's so awesome so what um so so are you still selling for direct tv what do you what are you what are you up to these days well um in 2000 early 2019 i started a marketing company with uh with a couple with a couple business partners um we've grown that to uh, over 20 employees. I think we're at like 25 employees right now. Um, and we're, we're in the multiple seven figures now. And I'm actually 
in escrow um, to be bought out of that company because I'm going all in with Recovered on Purpose. Uh, November 6th of 2019, I published my book, From Chains to Saved, One Man's Journey Through the Spiritual Realm of Addiction. Uh, wow. that, became, that became a bestseller. And exactly one month after um, publishing that book, I was at a conference in San Diego, California, standing in the back, um, just listening to the music that they had playing at the time. And someone I had never met walked up to me with a copy of my book and said, bro, your book changed my life. I have three weeks clean. Will you sign it for me? And I just, his name's Israel. And I just talked to him two weeks ago and he's still clean to this day. That's so awesome. And after he told me that, I, I had like this epiphany, like this is not about me. I don't tell my story for other people to hear my story. I want as many people in recovery to be loud about their recovery as possible because my story is not going to jive with a lot of people. Right. My story, some people can't even hear Jesus. But every single person that recovers from drug, drug addiction or alcoholism needs to be loud about their story because there is somebody out there counting on their story who may never get the opportunity to recover, who may never have the freedom that we feel if we're not able to give it away. And I believe, I believe before the 12 steps even started, it started with somebody telling their story to somebody else. Yep. That's how it started. It started and, right up the street from me. Yep. Exactly. It was Dr. Dr. Bob and Bill W. And, and, and that was, you know, if you know the whole story, for those who haven't seen, I'm sure I would imagine you've seen the movie with um, called My Name is Bill W. Yep. Um, it's powerful, man. Powerful. And you're right. And and it started with Bill coming to the realization. I, I believe it was a spiritual awakening that he needed to talk to another alcoholic if he was going to stay sober. Yep. And and I totally agree, man. Freaking powerful story, dude. Powerful. I have, I, my chills have gotten chills during, <laughs> during your story. And there's so many, so many things that are similar that I can relate to. And I talk about recovery. My first book, I talked a lot about it. Yeah. And, and so I, I get it, man. It's freaking amazing. Absolutely amazing. Thank so you. huge congratulations to you. Thank you. And after that instance with, with Israel, I decided that it's my mission um, and I don't know if I decided or if it was given to me, but I'm on a mission to help and equip other people in recovery to release their stories. Um, I do a program where I teach them to write a book. Um, I've helped a few people in recovery to write and publish their books, become bestsellers. There's one, uh, Dr. Cole Hill. Uh, he actually was a touring rapper with strange music and tech nine. He would sell drugs, do drugs, party all, and commit crimes basically. Yeah. And then he got saved and he was able to, to write his story from my coaching and my program. And he released his story to everybody that he used to rap to about completely different stuff. And he got saved by Jesus, yeah. went through school from bachelor's to master's to doctorate. And now he teaches high school kids. And then another one, uh, Brittany Priestley, she wrote her book, Mommy Drunkest. And the DA that prosecuted her on her case of drunken disorderly and whatever else bought 30 copies of her book to give to women that he's prosecuting 
that are in the same place that she was. It's amazing. That's the power of our stories that, and that's why I think yep. the medium of a book or what we're doing right here is, is more powerful than what we can do just one-on-one. -on -one. I think that one-on-one -on -one is extremely important, but I've had people message me when they got out of jail because their older brother sent them my book in jail. He gave his life to Jesus in jail from reading my book. I didn't send him my book. That's why I think it's so it's so important that we start getting our stories out every way that we possibly can. And totally then, agree. So I do a three-step process, write, speak, serve. I teach you to write your book. And then once you've written your book, you're able to tell your story in a totally different way because you know all the details, you know how you want to tell it, uh, you remember everything, and you can go from this point to this point to this point to this point to get your message across. Yeah. And then I teach you to speak it how to get on podcasts, how to do lives like this, how to get your story out to people that need the hope, people that are suffering, and yep. then serve, right? Speak, serve. Then I teach you how to take your story and teach it in high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools for prevention. They don't need recovery stories. We can't go into a high school and tell a recovery story because a high school kid's going to be like, oh, he made it through heroin addiction. I guess I will too. Yeah. Right, right. We, there's a way to teach it though and a different kind of a different kind of rhetoric to do to kids that we that I'm that I'm working on doing now. Dude, that's so awesome, man. That's Thank awesome. You. So you go out to the schools. Yes. Um, before COVID, I was focused on doing it. And right now I'm doing for the for Q4 of this year, I'm doing another launch of the books. Then I'm going to do the speak uh, Q1 of next year. And then I'm going to do the serve Q2 of next year. So you said that um, recoveryonpurpose.com, anybody that goes there and signs up for your newsletter or whatever it was, that you have a free gift for everyone. Yeah. So I, I actually give my digital and audio copy of From Chains to Saved totally free. And as of right now, I'm not using an email, email blast yet. All I do is just give you my story for free. Um, and then when I'm going to be doing these launches, I will be sending out like, hey, if you want to book a call with me to see if you're somebody that is good for this program, um, click on this link. But don't expect yeah. I'm not going to be sending you emails um, every day or anything like that. It's I just want to give you my story. That's awesome, man. It's so awesome. Let me ask you a question because I um, I'm always curious, you know, what 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 people say to this. And, you know, the first first one is. Um, in your opinion. You know, there's there's a lot, dude. During COVID and and all that, the 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 suicide rate skyrocketed, not just in this country but worldwide, um, which I get. I I understand the the desire to die. I get it. Um, what do you think holds people back from? from real success in life. And I'm talking financial because money is important. I don't care what anybody says. It's important. Zig Ziglar always said that um, money may not be everything, but it's ranked right up there with oxygen. Um, you know, so, so the people that, that are, that are struggling, they're stuck. They don't know how to get unstuck. Maybe they feel like they've tried everything and, and it's not working for them. What, what do you think is holding them back in life? What's the number one thing you think that's stopping people? 
And by the way, the number one answer is fear. So you have to do better than that. <laughs> um, I don't think it's fear. Um, I, I believe it's mindset. Um, and one thing that I, one thing that I was actually having this conversation with my girlfriend the other day. And um, I, I say that a hundred dollars will make 100 times the impact that $1 will. Um, I'm able to do things right now for people. I'm literally like on my way here, I just gave a $10 subway gift card to somebody that had a sign. You don't have money. You can't do that. Right. Um, I believe that people have a, have a mindset that money is evil, which it's not. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. If, uh, if everything you're pursuing is money, then, then it doesn't work. You'll never be fulfilled and you're probably not going to get it. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in tithing, not just believe wholeheartedly in it. I haven't missed a penny of tithe since I've been sober and it's blessed me like crazy. Um, and I've had, I have testimonies of God literally telling me this is because of your faithfulness and tithe, your faithfulness and tithe. When COVID hit and we found out that everything was closing down and we weren't going to get, our company wasn't getting any more money. Um, what I do, I have different accounts for my money. And when it comes in, first thing I do is 10% goes into my tithe account. And yeah. I'll, you know, I'll hold on to that until, you know, until I empty it like a month, two months, sometimes three months um, to the charity that I want to give it to. And the day that I found out that, um, that everything was shutting down and we weren't going to get paid and we had no idea when it was going to happen, my tithe account just so happened to be bigger than my necessities account. I had no idea how I was going to pay my bills. You know what the first thing I did was? What's that? I tithed. I got rid of that entire tithe account, gave it to my church and moved on. Because and later on, when it opened back up, God confirmed to me that he's that he's blessing the company now more than he ever has before because of that exact instance, because of that faithfulness. Yep. So I think that um, number one and number two are very, very close, and they probably are even the same thing. It's the mindset. Yeah. Success is first a mindset, and then it's action. First mindset. You got it. It's not even like belief. It's like um, it's knowing. It's knowing. It's like a faith that you, if you read the truth all over the place, stop reading books from millionaires thinking like, oh, he's this or, oh, he's that or, oh, he's this. Like success leaves clues. Yep. First mindset, start reading, start, start look, looking into how to be successful things. There's ways to become a millionaire making just above minimum wage 30 years down the road. Yeah. You can retire a millionaire no matter what you're doing for, for income right now. You know, I, it's funny, man, I'm telling you, our, our stories are so similar. I've carried back when I was a raging alcoholic, I was in church in Atlanta, Georgia, and the pastor passed around envelopes. This is a big, huge televised church, 3000 plus people in the congregation. And he passed around these envelopes and said, it's a gift from us to you. And it was Malachi three. I still have this. I've yeah. carried it, right? Bring the whole tithe and offering into my storehouse that my children may have food, et cetera, That's et cetera. Me, 
and and <laughs> and there was a brand new dollar bill stapled to the back of it, and there it is, still stapled oh. to it. I've carried this for thirty plus years, dude. And, and there were times when I was homeless, you know what that's like when you don't have a penny to your name, you don't, I mean, I could have bought a candy bar (laughs) with this dollar and something inside of me said, don't spend it. Don't ever spend that dollar. And I never have dude. So it's so similar, man. I, I, I totally agree with the, the tithing and everything that you've talked about today. It's amazing. So, brother, I'm very grateful that you came on and and shared. I want everybody watching or listening um, to go to recoveryonpurpose.com, sign up, um, and and just just grab a copy, the digital copy of an audio copy of Adam's book. Can you hold the book up one more time? I'm going to give you full screen. So, everybody, grab a copy of the book and or just go to Amazon and buy it chains to saved right from chains to saved yep. grab a copy of the book and and you know i sell copies on my website also recovered on purpose.com that's awesome and that's if you want awesome. to follow me i have a facebook page recovered on purpose also awesome is that all linked from your website yes okay yeah. good good Adam, you're a rock star, man. I, I'm honored to know you. Thank you for coming on and sharing and being so transparent. And and I believe that you helped at least one person today. I know for a fact you helped yourself. Yeah. And I know yeah. for a fact you helped me. So thank yeah. you. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me. Thank Appreciate you. that. So don't hang up on me yet, but I'm going to end the live stream. There's Linda and Barbara. Linda, thank, thank you, you for Linda. introducing us. Yeah. And um, Adam, hang tight for me. I'm going to end the live stream. Thank you to everybody who's watched and and shared this out. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform, be sure to share this out so so you can gift or bless someone else with the gift of hearing Adam's story. So thank you, dude. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you guys. Bye bye.